0: Welcome to this special episode of Disease Du Jour on the topic of Equine West Nile virus. The Disease Du Jour podcast is brought to you in 2020 by Merck Animal Health. Our guest for this episode is equine veterinarian Maureen Long, who has a DVM, a PhD, and is a diplomate of the American College of Veterinary Internal Medicine. She's a professor of virology and microbiology at the University of Florida. Her teaching and research interests include several equine and large animal infectious diseases, including EIA and West Nile virus. Thank you, Dr. Long for joining us today for this special disease du jour episode to talk to veterinarians about West Nile virus.
1: Well, thank you for inviting me, Kimberly. I'm very honored um, that you have asked me to present on West Nile virus. I think this disease is very topical uh, and I think sometimes we forget that it's a continuing threat to horses, even though we do have a vaccine that can prevent it. So I'm gonna take some time to go over how we got where we have arrived in terms of West Nile and the fact that it is not going away and something we should be continually worried about. So West Nile virus was introduced in 1999 to uh, North America starting in the Northeast and there was an explosive spread across the U.S. And just a little bit about West Nile virus that we learn in veterinary school. Um, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the virology, but I want to remind everybody that the horse and humans are dead end hosts. But this virus continually cycles in nature uh, with its reservoir hosts being birds. Up on your right, you will see that uh, little idea lies drawing, drawing of the virus, and it's an envelope virus, which means that in the environment, it doesn't last very long, and it's completely inactivated with detergents. The other thing about the envelope, which I'm pointing at, is it's important because that's what we develop our immunity to that's most important, and also the envelope is what we try and do most of our diagnostic testing against. So I'm gonna cover the three periods I think that uh, have transformed the world in terms of West Nile virus and causing continuous outbreaks. The picture in front of you uh, is the North American flyways. And you can see from North and South, we have multiple flyways. And it's because of the flyways that we had this, even though they go North and to South, we really had the East to West spread that that characterized this explosive outbreak. So this little-known virus basically was confined in 1999 to about 25 equine cases in Long Island, and with about a third of the horses dying. Field testing showed there was limited dispersal, and there was, at that time, hope that this virus would confine itself to to this area of New York. However, in 2000, just actually it was less than a year later because it was later in the summer that it was probably much later than most of the outbreaks that we now see. It had basically moved to seven, state, seven states, and there were 60 cases, so the cases had doubled. Uh, and then the field testing basically showed that there was very limited exposure that they could pick up. However, by 2001, 733 cases were detected in 19 states and 66 of those cases occurred in Florida. So we had this north-south, nor, northern to southern hemisphere spread, but then we also had this westward spread. And then we experienced this huge explosive outbreak and by 2002, we had just under 10,000 cases detected in horses in 42 states. There were basically 14,000 dead West Nile infected birds. Most of them we noted at that time happened to be part of the Corvids. And so they became very notable in the outbreak with sudden death and you could actually walk in your pastures and down the street and find dead crows all over. So it was a highly disturbing experience for those of us in 2002. We continued to see explosive outbreaks in 2003. By 2004, the equine cases were declining Um, but most cases were now in the West. I will tell you, we started to vaccinate and right away we started to see a decrease in the equine cases. But as you can see, we still had 2,500 human cases. So then what happened? Well, everybody became very comfortable and we really didn't see a lot of uh, infections in, in horses because of the vaccinating. But as you can see all the way through, which is the orange here, Um, we've had human infections throughout. And as you can see, we have started to see these cycles of increased activity. For instance, 2006, we had um, a a mini outbreak in people that primarily occurred in Texas and up through the Midwest. And then again, about six years later, it cycled again and we had another outbreak where we saw a spike in human activity. You will note we had a spike in equine cases, but again, because of vaccination and because of the diligence of veterinarians, we continued to control this um, disease in horses. So what are what's going on now? Well, I can guarantee you year to year, every state within the U.S. sees West Nile virus, either in a human, a horse, mosquitoes, or sentinel chickens. And as you can see, in 2020, we are starting to see activity um, already, and I ha- we have a much later um, season than some of the other viruses, like Eastern, which start in more around April. And so if you look at the bottom right, you, it looks like there's a lot less activity, but by the time you get to the, to the end of the year, you can see that there's activity all over the contiguous U.S., And if you look down at the bottom with the bar graph where you see the the blue bars, that's actually the human disease going along. And it's been percolating at the same activity, which means there's actually been no decreased in in environmental cycling. So West Nile is here to stay indefinitely, and it will stay active. And the reason why is that our mosquitoes are super vectors. There is... Amazing amounts of research into the, the mosquitoes we have, and one of them being C. tarsalis, which is that mosquito that basically carries you around in places like uh, Wisconsin and along the Mississippi River and out west. And that particular mosquito is very, very efficient at transmitting West Nile virus. The other thing is we have these areas with with a lot of endemic activity that we can hang our hats that we're going to see more activity from year to year. I will note that these are activities you also see see eastern equine um, encephalitis in the east. We don't see it in California, but in the south is active. Up along the upper Midwest, we see key places around Michigan and the Great Lakes, and then New England, we see activity year to year. And California is also always active. And another reason why we probably are going to see this indefinitely is that we've had a lot of loss of public health funding. And so that means there's decreased mosquito control and a limited national strategy, uh, which would then have to do with environmental testing, state laboratory testing ability, and differences in testing ability uh, from in, as far as the laboratories that are devoted to veterinary testing. And there is a difference. If you look at, on your left, this is California, and they do a lot of mosquito sam- sampling, um, less in sentinel chickens. Florida does a lot of sentinel chicken testing, but limited mosquito sampling. This difference, while they're both good at it, they're the best, two best, I think, uh, states in the country, this difference, however, will, will result in differences in timing of reporting of activity of the virus. So let's just take a look at clinical signs and diagnosis. There is a variety of clinical signs. Uh, one needs to c- do a complete diagnostic workup, And if you have a fully vaccinated horse, you can rule West Nile virus out in that horse. But the caveat is you must beware of owner vaccinations. So just a little bit, little uh, veterinary school reminder here. Age of horse is really important in this disease. I cannot emphasize vaccine history if it's an owner uh, owner vaccination history, do not trust it. Uh, one can never be sure about the vaccination. Also, find out who performs the vaccination, and what are the other diseases on the farm or the stablemate history, either history of recent injections, and what is the local geographic info. So we we can we can predict here in Florida that if there's a big rain event, such as we had in with Irma, that within nine days, we're going to have a huge mosquito bloom. And what's going to follow that uh, is probably some outbreaks of encephalitis here in Florida. The other thing is, West Nile virus mimics a lot of other diseases. So it's important to figure out if is the horse very painful. And that's why I talked about neck injections. I've had a lot of, quote, neurologic horses present and fi- come to find out they're actually painful. The other rule out I always look for is laminitis because a, la- a laminate, of course, sometimes will first present with basically because of the leg shifting lameness, they'll look like they're wobbly. And then what about liver disease? And then One of our West Nile suspects I first saw was actually a broodmare with uterine artery bleed, and she was basically staggering because she had um, lost so much blood internally. These horses will be febrile, but it's often missed, and it can be very short-lived. However, it can be a very, very high fever, up to 104 degrees if you should catch it. The hallmark of West Nile Are these fasciculations? And as you can see on your right, this horse is kind of jerking around, and her muzzle is going about, um, is is basically going back and forth and going back and forth. She, her eyes are also going, and so are her ears are fasciculating. So these fasciculations are very um, prominent. These horses will also have a behavior change. This horse. She was a child's horse, and she was very quiet. And once she was uh, infected with West Nile, she became ex- extremely hyperesthetic. This is one of the first horses we ever saw with the fasciculations, and you can see his muzzle's going. He's a little hyperesthetic with uh, his body, um, but you can see this this incredible uncontrolled tremor and in his muzzle. There is water in the background. There's a hose in the background that he's hearing and very nervous about, and his ears are flicking back and forth. You will also see the fasciculations on the flank. This may not come through as well, but you can see the muscles right there are fasciculating. And they can actually have whole body tremors where they can hardly keep their balance because they're shaking so hard. These horses can have a mentation change besides the behavior change. The change can be somnolence that is temporary. This mare is eating and then she falls asleep while she's eating. And she stays this way two or three minutes and then starts eating again. And this is what this mare did for about 10 days. She'd fall asleep in her bucket. She, um, sometimes you thought that uh, she was going to become lateral but she just wake back up and start eating again. The others can be completely um, uh, unresponsive and unable to eat and actually look more like a liver encephalitis horse. They can also have cranial nerves. This horse basically has a paradoxical vestibular syndrome where it's leaning to the left and it muzzle's deviating the other way um, and you can see uh, he, he was actually one of our research horses at the College of Vet Med that uh, in 2001, before we vaccinated, could vaccinate, and he came down with West Nile. What is also really notable, and it may not be obvious, is these horses have tongue paralysis. And of all the cranial nerves I see the most in a West Nile, it's the tongue paralysis. And you actually have to pull on the tongue. And, and detect the weakness. The only way we picked it up in this mare, she just kept, um, she, she, she came in, her cranial nerves were normal and then over the next couple of days, she basically had um, was leaving her grain and we redid the cranial nerves and noted that if we pulled her tongue out, it would just hang there. Locomotor abnormalities can vary from just mild ataxia, and you can see this horses basically um, not tracking with her front and her hind limbs. And she's also patting the ground as though she can't feel it. So she's got some proprioceptive deficits. And these horses also to me are much more weak than they are ataxic. And the big thing that rules them out as far as I'm concerned from West Nile is they have no muscle loss, but they're weak. This was a training racehorse and she had lots of muscle, but she could just about pull her off her feet. And then we have horses that can progress to paralysis. And this mare basically, this is a recording, but you can see she can't move and she actually has problems breathing because her respiratory muscles are affected. These two horses were were basically intermittently paralyzed. This horse would just get weak and go down in his front end for a couple of minutes, get up. This horse would lay there in lateral recumbency for about six hours and then stand back up again.
0: Today's Disease Detour podcast is brought to you by Merck Animal Health, makers of prestige West Nile virus vaccine. West Nile virus is always a considerable threat to horses, particularly in areas where disease is endemic and during peak mosquito season. All horses are at risk, but vaccination offers the key to prevention. Put your trust in the tried and true prestige line of West Nile virus vaccines from Merck Animal Health and learn more about the science of advanced protection at prestigevaccines.com. We have seen some long-term problems.
1: Most horses uh, will recover and will go back to full use. But then we've had we have seen some horses that will develop severe muscle waste, wasting that is progressive, and eventually they can become recumbent. It's likely like in humans where it's a post-polio syndrome and the lower motor neurons just die long term. It's really important because this disease mimics other diseases to um, perform a full workup and think about non-infectious and infectious rule outs. And also in terms of infectious, remember EHV and triple also never forget about rabies. And then I think probably what this disease mimics the most is EPM. And I think because of that, Um, Horses are treated probably unnecessarily with EPM because um, they've been put on treatment and not had the proper diagnostics. Wherever possible, of course, full blood work's important, which would include ammonia to make sure um, to rule out liver disease, but wherever possible, CSF testing is really important. And where we see a lot of triple E, we can pretty much rule it out or in based on the CSF because triple E horses will have um, a primary neutrophilia and then the West Nile horses will have more of a mononuclear and these are what they look like. And I used to perform all my CSF testing um, and looking at the slides in practice. And so you can do this and get some idea what's going on in that horse. And just um, basically just to remind you, you're going to see a lot of cells and protein with Triple E. You may not see as much with West Nile. It's going to be normal with rabies. And in EHV, you're going to see mostly protein and then a highly colored CSF. So that's why I say that's your first, one of your first basically minimum databases that you should um, uh, perform. So remember all your rule outs, Eastern equine encephalitis, West Nile virus, Western equine encephalitis. We don't see as much of it um, on the West Coast, but we are detecting it in mosquitoes, rabies, uh, liver disease, EPM, EHV. We also see verminous encephalitis and then botulism. And they all can look like each other. This is the horse I showed earlier with the tongue. This is a liver horse, my first one that I saw with actually a head tilt. And then here's a non infectious um, disease, and it's middle ear disease or stylohyoid osteopathy. So they can all kind of look like each other unless you do a really great physical exam and the right diagnostic push ups. And of course, in these areas where we see Triple E, which can go as far north as Canada. We could see these horses um, and they come in and they're very many times violent or they're completely out of it. Um, and this horse on your left uh, basically well, ended up um, smashing its way around the stall and head pressing. So, um, And then within two, 24 hours, the horse became recumbent and they usually die spontaneously at that point, if not humanely euthanized. And never forget rabies. One of the most common signs is self mutilation, but don't hang your head on that. I've seen Eastern horses and I've seen West Nile horses self mutilate also. And as I talked about EPM, EPM is, is also a disease that affects uh, the motor neurons and the hallmark is loss of muscle mass um, at the time that you see the neurolo- see the neurological onset of clinical disease. And that is, for me, one of the biggest clinical rule outs I use for West Nile. So how do we diagnose West Nile? Well, um, we're still reliant on a single testing for an IgM capture. And that is an ELISA it tests the M protein response it's become expensive to run so usually only the state diagnostic laboratories run this however it is one of the most important uh, tests that we have for both west nile virus and triple e one must remember it's completely confounded by vaccination and uh, with a in a horse that's vaccinated And even minimally vaccinated, you will see a blunted IgM response that can confound your testing. And that may require then neutralization tested, even though it is confounded. If you do paired serum, it can give you information on recent exposure in the sub-vaccinated horse. However, many labs do not use it because it requires live virus. And then on your bottom, this is what a new... Um, a neutralization test look like, and this is live, live um, virus in here and a negative control. Um, and this is your virus basically destroying the cells. Whenever you can pursue post-mortem testing, this is a reportable disease and the presence of the virus is important to, to report um, for the health and well-being of other animals and people. The best thing to submit probably is the whole horse or head. Um, if you are going to submit brain, as much of the brain as possible, if you can't do that, then focusing on the brain is important. As you can see, most of the virus localizes around the back of the, uh, the, end, the hindbrain. In this image, you can see a single neuron that's infected with virus. That is why as much of the brain is important because unlike Eastern equine encephalitis, West Nile virus hides out in the brain and is very localized. So the success of testing is really dependent on correct submissions. And rabies and EEEE are always ruled out when you submit a brain for West Nile virus testing. So let's just talk about prevention and control. Vaccination strategies, that's the good news. You can completely prevent this disease in horses and the fact we see ever see any of them in this country is amazing to me. Environmental control cannot be minimized. People are not vaccinated. You are still at risk and so it's important to tell your clients that they're at risk even though their horses are not if they're vaccinated and communicating these risks. And I'll talk finish up with a little bit about that. So I'm very concerned about Northern vaccination rates, uh, especially, especially for Eastern equine encephalitis. That's going to give me, um, that's my plug that they all have to be vaccinated against. What I mostly see now is the young are highly susceptible we don't see as much older horse infection even though they're highly susceptible to mortality but most older horses have had a lot of vaccination the problem with the young is that they don't get in, get enough injections early enough so i recommend three injections at weaning and then another between january and march and then another in midsummer in other words i like to see in that first year, year and a half, that these horses get six injections. The reason why is they need to build up their immunity because the killed vaccines do not last in and of themselves more than four to six months. I also recommend vaccinating three times a year until four years of age. In adults, vaccinate twice per year in moderate climates. You can Vaccinate once per year in climates with cold, long winters. However, I will say Michigan has a lot of West Nile and Eastern activity. It's got a cold, long winter. If there is an extended season, those horses need to be vaccinated. And boosters must be administered before any travel. One does not know where the hot spots are. And if the status is unknown, administer two injections as though the horse has never received a vaccine. Older horses are more susceptible, but they provide a conundrum because a lot of them have higher number of vaccine reactions. And this this causes uh, owners to minimize vaccination. If you're going to limit the vaccine rate, then I highly recommend before vaccination every year, that that horse has a neutralizing test to measure what kind of protective immunity is remaining from the year before or two years before if they're on an alternate year strategy. Vaccination should not be intermittent. I always get the questions of how long or how how often or how long immunity lasts. Well, it's really hard to know in the field, but I have a case example of a sparsely vaccinated horse. This was a brood mare that was suspect West Nile in 2009 in Ocala, Florida. And we tested the horse and confirmed that she had West Nile virus. The farm manage it, management basically vaccinated those horses between 2001 and 2005, at least twice per year. Then the farm stopped vaccinating in old in the older mares after 2005. Maybe it's because she was an older horse that her immunity waned, but by four years after all that initial vaccinating, this mare picked up a case of West Nile virus. She recovered, so she probably had some background immunity, but she basically showed... Um, that she seroconverted on neutralizing testing. She was barely positive on IgM because she had seen the vaccine at some point in her life, but she was no longer protected. So four years is not very long if you've had a horse that's been vaccinated for, um, between, for several years, at least twice a year, and you stop vaccinating. So therefore their immunity can wane in their lifetime so she was barely greater than 100 but um i'm sorry she did she was prnt positive and then she did have no follow-up to the prnt environmental control this cannot be minimized mosquitoes like smelly environments remove the manure if it sits all day the mosquitoes are going to come in the barn also If you pile it up, if your clients pile it up on the farms, this is mosquito breeding. The minute it rains, there's a nice little puddle there, and they really like to breed in manure water. Um, Also, out on the pasture, these become little puddles, and they attract mosquitoes, and within 24 hours, you can get a bloom in that water. This um, So dragging pastures and breaking everything up is really important. Standing water is something that really needs to be taken care of and it can um, cause a mosquito bloom even if it's there for two to three days post rainfall. I recommend where you, you may have to even outside the barn, install some sort of drain with some sort of uh, tiling that takes the water away. And then if the, these are farms with lots of um, uh, man-made um or natural ponds, then putting in the pond some sort of um, water movement, like a, like a waterfall, putting in fish, and then adding some dunks to it uh, will minimize the mosquito activity. And that's all I have today. And any questions, uh, we'll follow up with the podcast.
0: Well, Dr. Long, thank you so much. And just as a reminder to our audience, uh, if you're listening to this podcast and you want to see those videos, and I highly recommend that, then you can go to EquiManagement.com and look for the Disease Du Jour podcast on West Nile virus, and we will have this presentation available for you to see on the podcast, so on that on that page on EquiManagement. So, Dr. Long, thank you so much for being our guest on today's special episode of Disease Du Jour, where we have a podcast as well as access to a a webinar, and we invite our audience to um, come back and listen to more Disease to sure episodes and make sure we want to thank our sponsor in 2020 Merck Animal Health. So please listen and rate previous and future episodes of Disease to sure on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher or your favorite podcast platform. You can follow Equa Management on our website, our Facebook, or you can send me an email at kbrown at aimmedia.com. Disease De Jours production of the Equine Podcast Network and Entity of the Equine Network.